this is Dan Cassetta, and we have another special episode of Changing Lives, Selling Knives for you today. Recently, I was able to corral four of the top young leaders who work with me in Cutco Vector's Western region. We talked specifically about success in the district manager position and how other leaders throughout the company can create their own compelling future. Leading off this quartet of amazing district managers is someone who's already known as one of the top developers in the Western region, our Newport Beach district manager, Anthony Hayes. We also have Anthony's good friend and colleague in the Southland division, the number one recruiter in the Western region for 2020, West LA district manager, Kuval Patel. Third, we have the Silver Cup champion, new DM in the company for 2020, Ventura County's Ben Lee. Last, but certainly not least, we have a young man whose legend is growing by the month in Vector Marketing. He's last summer's Branch Silver Cup winner and currently the number one manager in all of Vector for 2021. He operates in Marin County and San Francisco in the Bay Area, District Manager Kyle Lopes. All four of these dynamic young leaders are changing lives through the incredible influence that they are providing to their organizations, the Western region, and the entire company. These are four wonderful examples of the kinds of leaders being developed through the Cutco Vector opportunity. In this conversation, we discuss recruiting strategies, development keys, creating community, both in person and virtual, and other ideas on how to go from good to great as a Vector manager. If you're listening while you're driving or otherwise away from your notes, you can find detailed notes on this episode at changinglivespodcast.com. You can sign up there to receive free resources from me and some of our amazing guests. And you can also support our podcast sponsors by clicking on the deals link on that page. All right, you'll be glad you press play on this one. Let's get right to it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. I am here with the superstar young guns of the Western region. I've got Kuval Patel with me today. I've got Anthony Hayes. I have Ben Lee, and I have Kyle Lopes. These happen to be four young men, district managers with us. We are really excited about how changes in the vector business have increased our recruiting of women and our development of female leaders and female superstars, 61 of the top 100 new reps in the Western region in 2020 were women. And I'll look forward to being able to have a Young Guns women's podcast here in the months and years ahead with some of the rising stars of the Western region. Today, I'm really excited to be able to have Kuval, Anthony, Ben, and Kyle here. A couple of you guys have been on the podcast before. Kyle was the first million-dollar student in Vector and was also featured as a Silver Cup branch manager. Ben Lee was the number one new DM promoted beginning of last summer in the company, and he was also featured here this past January. Uh, A couple of you have not been featured yet. Kuval and Anthony, you are obviously future guests on the podcast. I want to kick off with you two tonight. And let me just start by asking you both, why did you feel like you could have a compelling future as a Vector District Manager? Anthony, why don't you tackle that one first? Yeah. You know, honestly, I I didn't really know if I could have 
a super compelling future. But I ran a, run a couple of branches uh, while in college, got into management pretty quickly. But I really think the the moment for me, because I was supposed to run a third branch actually when I ended up DMing, um, is I remember being at a team meeting and just sitting in the back of the room, taking notes on a talk and just feeling like I was doing a disservice to like the world by not running an office. I just felt like I had more value to provide. I felt like I could be doing more than just you know, selling Cutco to pay for my classes at the time. And it just really made sense. It, you know, I knew it was something that I wanted to do and that I wanted to have the opportunity to you know, give back what I had gotten from the company. And it just felt like a good time with a good opportunity. And so just dove into it and accepted the challenge that came along uh, with you know, being a district manager. Yeah. I appreciate that you were inspired to be a district manager because you wanted to give. I think that's the greatest reason for wanting to be a leader of any sort is for what you can give to other people. It's not for what you're going to get from it. I mean, we all know Jim Rohn calls it enlightened self-interest. We all know we're going to get a lot if we give a lot of value, but the motivation is in giving value. How about you, Kaval? Why did you feel like you would have a compelling future as a DM? Yeah. So I went branch my second summer working with the company and I went out to do 225 grand as a branch in Kingman, Arizona. And we promptly did 92. And the one thing that kept me around and really made me feel like I could make it as a manager was really just the belief that my original manager, Jared in Tucson had in me. I don't think there was a single conversation that I had with Jared where he did not believe in me and encourage me to think bigger and just think about what I could achieve if I just put more of my time and effort into just learning how to be a better manager overall, just to give more to the people. So that's one of the biggest things that made me feel more confident about having a future as a manager. Yeah. It's great to hear that you had somebody that helped you see that belief in yourself and you graduated from University of Arizona before taking on your DM position? Correct. Yeah. I graduated from University of Arizona in three years, just after my branch summer, and then went DM May of 2018. Yeah. And to be clear, like two of these guys graduated from college before becoming a DM. Two of these guys didn't graduate from college before becoming a DM. They plan on continuing and having education be a part of their future. Vector, we don't necessarily require somebody to be you know, to graduate from college before becoming a DM, but we encourage it. We're obviously a company that recruits students and we want people to take their student role seriously and that we'll wait for you if that's the path that's going to be best for you. And I uh, just want to say that it's it's interesting observation, right? The two of you here went through your years of college before becoming a DM and two of you took it on sooner. Ben, you were an amazing sales rep in your first year. Of all the reps recruited in Vector Marketing in the year 2019, I want to say the number was 40-some thousand. Maybe it was even higher than that. You were number one in the company among all those sales reps for that year. And yet you went straight from rep to district manager. What made you decide that being a DM would be a more appropriate path for you? Me personally, I, I really, I really loved selling, and it was something that provided me a lot of joy. And I really liked what I was doing when I was selling, which is why I felt like I had a lot of success my first year. Me personally, though, what I really loved most about it was providing the service for the people that I was sitting down with. Right, my other job as well at the time was DJing. Right, the reason why I love DJing is because I love putting a smile on people's faces, and I really believe that through this company and through that other experience in my other job, I. 
I feel that that's what I'm meant to do is put a smile on people's faces. And uh, the DM opportunity to me only looked like a platform that was a lot bigger to do that with. And at the same time, impact a lot of the same people that are in a very similar situation as I was and had been able to find a way out of that. So me personally, life wasn't too great before. And then when I found this company and the environment that it created for me, then I had the opportunity to give that back to so many other young people, just like myself. It was kind of a no-brainer at that point. And I was also just kind of raised to give back. So my my dad always said, if you're giving back, you're doing it right. So excellent. Yeah, excellent. You know, I think Cutco Vector has great opportunities for people to be able to fit in wherever they want. And we have a great professional sales position that people can fit into. I think the best, the biggest benefits of it are complete and total flexibility and the pure control over your income that you have as a sales rep. But mostly is that complete and total flexibility that people have. As a manager, you still have a good deal of flexibility, but you're responsible to the team. You kind of have to be there when you commit you know, to running trainings and to working with your reps and those sorts of things. The flip side of that is that there's a higher level of impact that is felt from the management role. That is why I feel a lot of people become district managers. They want to have that impact. They want to put smiles on people's faces. Like you said, they want to change lives like we always talk about. And the district manager role is a great vehicle for that. Kyle, you, I like to say, are basically here on accident you were a great sales rep in the company for a number of years, truly elite silver cup winner, first college student to sell over a million dollars while in college, graduated from Columbia University. That's obviously an Ivy League institution with tremendous opportunities for whatever path you wanted to take in life. And then the pandemic struck in 2020. And you know it was per- pretty hard to look at new work opportunities a lot of the sales rep opportunities in Cutco were temporarily cut off and that a lot of the shows you know, that you used to work booths at were suspended for at least a year. And so you decided to, you'd run a branch for the summer. You took the last spot that was available in the Bay Area and went out and became the number one branch in the company with that. Not only the number one branch in the company, but the highest producing first-year branch the company has ever seen. So it made sense for you to become a district manager at the end of the summer. And you've been lighting it up since then. I was telling somebody about you the other day. And I'm like, this guy's been a manager for 11 months. And he already holds five monthly records for new rep sales, new business, which is that's really hard to set. Five of those already. Pretty crazy, man. Pretty crazy. Now that you're a top producing district manager, what are you finding to be some of the greatest benefits of your role? Yeah. Uh, thanks, Dan. I think there's really three main benefits that I've been able to to really reap uh, since I started being a manager. Uh, the first is exposure. I aspire to do really profound, world-shaking things in my life. And so it's important for people to know my name and know it in a really positive light, uh, know it for the right reasons. And so this job's allowed me to impact since I started over 500 young people personally over the last year and thousands across North America just through what we've been able to accomplish in my story. And you know, I remember speaking with you before, Dan, about my future ambitions and being a top-tier manager was something that you cited as a way for me to really develop an army of supporters and followers at a young age. The second thing was income. You cited you know, that the pandemic really 
disrupted a lot of my plans as far as what my next venture would look like, or if I was going to continue being a sales rep at a top level within the company. And so I was working from home for the first time, like most people, and had lost my primary source of income. And to be able to pivot and instead take was a really limiting situation for most people in the world and ended up having the best year I've ever had income wise in only eight months of work was just such a blessing. And, you know, in 2021, now we're already almost halfway to our production from last year. And the last eight months of this year, are the biggest sales periods of our, our year for our company. So it's going to be biblical this year. Um, and then I think the last thing is just personal growth. I'd accomplished pretty much everything I wanted to in my time here from the sales rep position. And you know, I'd made the, the Hall of Fame and I graduated with no debt and all these different things. I had money left in the bank. And so I was really actively seeking the next challenge and opportunity. And I just didn't realize at the time that that challenge was just a sort of transition away. And it really forced me to flex my sales skills, being a manager, to be able to teach novices the ins and outs of sales psychology, walk them through the objection cycle, while also carrying to make sure they don't get overwhelmed and to help them through both their personal and professionals or professional trials and tribulations. And so I would say this past year, really the past you know 10 months, I've grown more and expanded my capacity for stress and hard work than any other time in my life. Yeah, that's excellent. I do feel like the district manager position very much expands all of our capacities. As a new district manager myself, you know, I found myself working toward goals and, and learning how to apply my work ethic in new ways, apply my sales skills that I had gained while I certainly had not sold as much as you, Kyle. I felt like I had some pretty good sales skills that I had developed and, uh, and applying those to the challenges that I had. Just the mental attitude you develop throughout your time working in Cutco and applying that at a higher level as a district manager to tackling challenges and adversity, all those things. Really cool. I like what you said about the exposure that people get as district managers. One of the things you do as a DM is you build a following. There's a lot of people out there who call themselves influencers. And I think that is a joke. You can't call yourself an influencer. You're an influencer if other people view you as being influential. That's how you become an influencer. Other people view you as being influential. And as a district manager, as Kyle said, you've had a chance to work with now 500 young people. If you were to work as a vector district manager for five or 10 years, that 500 becomes 2,500, becomes 5,000 and multiplies out to a massive following that you've established in the world that you can build on. I know you have political aspirations. You might be, you know, President Lopes at some point, but you got my vote. And that the following that you build in Vector is powerful. A lot of you might want to do some type of speaking, coaching, things like that down the road. A lot of you that are listening, right? The following you build as a district manager for a number of years is the most valuable way to move into those types of opportunities. And I love what you said, Kyle, about how your income could be biblical this year. The highest... 1099 earnings I've seen for a district manager in my organization was a little north of $400,000 in a year. Carl Gedris, who you know, Kyle, earned, maybe it was 430, or it was somewhere in the low fours, low to mid fours. I can look it up for you if you want to try to tackle that one this year, but that's out there. Like that is literally in play for any of you four. 
in the years ahead. And for any district manager listening who wants to take their game to the highest level, that puts you in the top one, two percent, you know, of income earners in America. And that that's a 1099 amount. We have some expenses, but none of you are spending even a hundred grand to run your businesses in a year. Maybe you're spending 50 or 60 or 70 or 80 to run your businesses in a year. And so truly the income opportunity is pretty amazing as well. And Kyle, you just went out and blitzed it your first year. Same for you, Ben. I mean, you guys just came out of the gates in a way that we've rarely ever seen. Tuvi and Anthony, while certainly neither of you struggled or did poorly at all, you both really experienced a big step forward in 2020. Um, what do you think made the difference in going from good to great for you? Yeah, Dan, when I heard the question, there was really four things that I thought about. And the first thing that came to mind, what changed for me personally was I went from focusing on trying to provide as much as I possibly could for my people first to really learning how to focus on myself to be able to then pour into my people. I feel like for 2018 and 19, I was working my tail off like any new manager does, but I feel like I wasn't investing that same time back into me growing personally and professionally. So it was that metaphor of me pouring from a glass that was already half empty. So in 2020, I realized that I needed to level up personally and then professionally outside of the business, then be able to pour into my people from a glass that was obviously fuller. So I started to focus on my, my health, my wealth, and just my personal happiness in, in the business and outside of the business. Uh, the next thing that I thought about was just being vulnerable and allowing my key people to step up when I really needed them to step up. Obviously, changing from 100% in-person at the last minute to go 100% virtual uh, definitely required a lot of time and effort. And there was times last year where I was putting in long, long hours at the office and long, long hours on Zoom trying to figure out how to navigate a virtual environment. And there were times where I was absolutely dead and knocked out the next day. And I really needed my staff to step up during those times. And we called that group the Game Changers last summer. I think we had 14 to 20 people on staff at any point during the summer last year. And I really opened up to them and let them know, hey, guys, I'm not feeling it today. I really need your help to step up here. I'm going to show up, but I need you guys to level up my energy and help us out as a team. And they had the opportunity to, to step up, which was very exciting for them. And I was very excited to see that out of them too. The next thing I thought about was dominating through delegating. I realized in 2020 that I really didn't need to do everything that I thought I needed to do to create a really successful organization. And 2020 was really a pivotal year for me in that because back in 2018, 2019, if somebody called me at, at 10 or 11 PM, when I was on the phone with my mom or my dad, I would for sure say, Hey, let me call you right back. I have somebody calling me. Uh, let me get right back to you. And I would take that PDI call, even if I wasn't sure if they were on a demo, needed help, or if it was just a random call to fill out a base pay form or something that really just didn't need me at that moment. So in 2020, I really took that. I took my my personal time personally. And if I was on the phone with somebody later at night and, and I had somebody calling me, I knew that my staff had my back because we knew that our reps were organized enough to know, hey, if this person doesn't answer, call this person. And we knew that they were taken care of and taken care of well. And the last thing that I thought about, Dan, was being able to spend more time outside of the business in 2020, still produce much more than we did ever before, and then come back into the business with a lot more energy. So being able to disconnect to be able to reconnect at a much higher level. Last year, I read more books and I listened to more audiobooks than I have had in my entire life in, in one year. 
Uh, I was able to spend more time researching a new, a new found cool thing that I enjoy doing and obviously, you know, real estate. And I spent more time le- learning and researching that stuff to be able to then share that with my people and get them extremely interested in, in thinking outside of just the, the opportunity and the work that we're doing here. But those are the four things that I thought about, Dan, that took me from, you know, good and, and mediocre, like just slightly above average, never mediocre to, to somebody that was now contending nationally. Awesome. Such great stuff right there, Kuvi. I just love the idea of being able to pour into people from a full cup and the importance of, you know, making sure that uh, you are taking care of your own health and well-being, that you are leveling up your personal development game, and that you, you know, had a measured schedule. You know, I think a lot of new new DMs might be listening to this and thinking like, hey, I'm willing to work as hard as I can when I start this. And I think that's probably a good idea when somebody's brand, brand new, but it's not, it's not the good idea for that long. Right. And being able to have that kind of time away that you described, it's, you were sharpening the saw to use that analogy. And when the saw was sharper, you're able to be more effective in your time. So good stuff. Very valuable. Anthony, how about you? What helped you go from good to great? Yeah. So I think in, in 2020, I had three things. I had two focuses and one truth that became very apparent for me. Um, obviously, 2020 I moved to a new territory. So it was more or less starting from scratch. So the two focuses I had as soon as I got to Newport were I needed to create development and I needed to create systems. Obviously, I, I knew and you know, going to a new territory, I didn't want to do everything alone. I didn't want to basically be a new district manager again. Like you've all said, where I was just working nonstop all day but not necessarily seeing the results from that. And um, so I, I really made it a focus that I needed to create people that could help me build what we were going for um, in our organization. And one of the things that I remember hearing a lot as a, as a newer manager was that development was a byproduct of doing the business the right way, right? That when you create lots of recruits, get lots of sales, treat your people well, development happens. And what I found instead is that CPO and recruits are, the, are a byproduct of development. That when you have great people around you, it's not hard to have a $10,000 a week when you have 10 people on your staff doing $1,000 for the week, right? It's not hard to launch a consistent 10 to 15 representatives every single week when you have multiple interviewers, multiple people, you know, driving the, the, the systems that you have. Uh, and then understanding that I need to make duplicatable programs that I can plug and play people into and, and able or in order to multiply my effect. So that it wasn't just me. And that really is the one truth that really, I think, just hit home finally for you know, the, the last time for it to be real was that talent, charisma, and potential weren't enough. You know, like you said, for a long time, 2018, 2019, I felt like I was always kind of the manager that had great potential, but saw, as Kuval mentioned, above average results. And so echoing to his point, you know, it really was important for me to be able to create people just like me. And that Part of it, as Kuval mentioned, was really developing myself and making sure I was taking time to find other ways to build up people and to create programs within my organization beyond just, hey, here's how you run the interview and and, and create some sales, but really growing myself so that I had things to offer people. I had insights and and wisdom and, and value to provide beyond just helping you know grow their paycheck or, or increase their lead base. And I think that was really some of the important focuses and insights we had going into 2020 that obviously have played some, some results for us here so far. Yeah. It sounds like delegation 
for both of you guys uh, was a key part of being able to take your results to a higher level. You were multiplying yourself through other people and that created more, you know, hours of work being done and more, uh, you know, recruits happening and just more activity happening that was creating the results in the office. I think it's important for anyone listening to make sure that delegation is done correctly. We don't just delegate because we don't want to do something or because we don't like something and pass it off to somebody else. We make sure that when we delegate, that we provide the right direction and guidance at the outset for someone. Uh, We typically make sure that we observe someone performing any task that we have given to them. I know, Kyle, you do a lot of where you watch people doing the work. You watch assistant managers doing PDI. You watch people doing interviews, right, to help make sure that they're done, things are done right. You watch people doing demos, I believe, top reps, to make sure that things are done the right way. We provide that really clear guidance and direction at the outset. And then you have to have a mechanism to make sure that you're monitoring people's results so that you know who's doing things well and you know who needs help with you know various activities that you're giving off to them so that the ultimate goal of delegation is that things are done well, whether you do it or not. Results are expected whether you're doing the activity or not. I never want to hear a manager say, oh yeah, we had a poor show to training this week because my assistant managers ran all the interviews, right? That's a terrible excuse to to have, right? We should make sure that we're training people well so that they produce results about the same that we would be producing. That's the ultimate in delegation. Anything resonate there, Kyle, that you wanted to chime in on? Yeah, well, first off, it's funny you mentioned that. I'm uh, in Portland right now. I just flew in late last night. First time I see my family in a year and a half because of the pandemic. And earlier today, my brother ran his third interview ever. And I sat five feet from him, super intimidating, and just stared at him the entire time that he ran his interview. And he goofed up almost the entire thing. And then we sat down for an hour after the interview and we broke down everything and I had recorded large swaths of it and we went through it and he's like, I don't want to listen to this. I don't want to listen to myself. And it's like, perfect. That's why we're doing it. And that's going to be the way that I teach him how to be a good interviewer. So that way we don't have abysmal show to training this summer is because I'm willing to pour into him and teach him and, and teach him the right way to delegate. Right. So totally agree with what you're saying there, Dan. Yeah. Excellent. Good stuff. Now. I know that we can boil the success factors for new district managers down to two key areas, through recruiting and its development. You got to have enough people and enough of the people that you want, uh, enough good recruits, so to speak, I guess you could say. And then you got to have a program that enables those people to do well with selling and to progress and learn and overcome the hurdles that occur for most new reps when they're brand new and be able to succeed. The part in between would be the actual training seminar. And I'm going to omit that for this conversation tonight, because I feel like that's pretty easy these days. People can collaborate with another manager. You can have your DVM, division manager, run training for you for as long as you need to. That's not a hard part of the job to get good at. I want to talk about recruiting. I want to talk about development. I want to start by talking about recruiting and what you think are the top keys to attracting enough great people. Ben, let me let you tee off on this one on how you started. It was one year ago. It was April. You just got started. 
and you got off to a really good start right out of the gate. How did you begin the process of building a great team in your Ventura County team? Yeah. So I, at the, actually the year before, the September before I opened up, um, I think it was September of 2019, uh, I had run into an old best friend of mine in college. He was just walking across the quad and I had seen him and I'd been like, Hey, um, you know, what's going on? We, we connected. I hadn't seen him in probably four or five years. And he ended up needing a job at the time. I ended up, you know, PRing him to come into Cutco and he ended up becoming assistant manager in the Northridge office. And then, you know, I brought him with me to help open up my office here in Ventura County. And one of the main reasons why was because he graduated from Agora High School, which is a high school that's right in the middle of my my territory. And I was also someone who grew up in the territory. I didn't go to high school in the territory. Uh, it's kind of went I kind of disconnected from you know this area when I went to high school. But you know, one of the biggest things with the recruiting was I was able to sit down with him before summer and be like, hey, let's kind of build up a game plan. And we just opened up a Google Doc and we just started naming all these names that we used to know from middle school, all these people that he, he knows from high school, all the people that I still had in my network. And we pretty much made this whole Google Doc uh, and all these people. And, and we just started. And the day that Kevin gave me the okay uh, to start recruiting, we sent out as many messages as we could in a, in a day and the proper business hours. And it actually got to the point so bad where uh, all of Adam's texts started to turn green uh, because people were like kind of reporting his number because of how many text messages he was sending. <laughs> and, you know, it was just one of those things where I was just like, I'm not too sure what's going to happen this year, but I do know that we can work hard. And I brought him with me because I know he would do that with me. And so that was really what what happened with that. And then we just started to get people in that first training class. We had eight people come in. And, you know, I always get the question of like, you know, what is it that you do in your PR talk to get a big collection? And I just give Kevin Donahue's talk. I just, he gave me a script and I read it. Uh, but I think what, what really what really does it what really did it with the recruiting last year was just how authentic that I was through sharing the goals, through sharing the vision. And people just started to become become that become that vision. I remember having talks to Adam early on, like, man, these people are really looking up to us right now, aren't they? Right? These people are like our age and they're really, they're really hopping on this train with us right now, aren't they? And it, we would just have like these, these wild moments where like, this is, this is really happening right now. We're building a business right now. And, and all of a sudden it just took off. The next thing I knew you were asking me to give a talk and a region call about what the heck I was doing. So that was really how it happened for me last year. So a uh, key assistant manager that you recruited. I think a, a lot of new managers can resonate with that, being able to get a couple key assistant managers, particularly locals to the territory, making a game plan for how you who you wanted to approach. Some people might not be, be able to be as specific as you of like actual people, but they could target like, hey, what are my key high schools that I want to make sure I get graduating seniors from? What key college can I build a relationship with to be able to get recruits from? A game plan to get a lot of the right recruits right out of the gate and then having an authentic vision that is shared in training so that people that you first get want to introduce other people to the team and that you're able to kind of build on that. That's a great formula for success at the start. Kyle, you have not only done well with recruiting out of the gate, but been really, really consistent. Week in, week out, you are launching double-digit recruits almost every single week since last May or June, which is really remarkable to see. How do you keep that consistency happening at such a high level? Yeah. Well, first, just uh, sort of what Ben was talking about. Uh, you know, I also started with people that I knew as well. And so my first ever rep was my little brother, Eric. 
And then uh, I think our second and third reps on the team, or maybe it was number two and number five, were people who were introduced to me by one of my fraternity brothers who was from San Francisco. And that's what helped us get into one of the top private schools in San Francisco. And from there, we got into the other private schools and that bled into the, pro- the public schools. And so I totally agree with Ben that you know getting good help early on really lets you get out the gate hot. And then once you do, it's um, you know Evan Keller earlier today, I think was the one that was talking about how it's easier to go 40 to 70 than it is to go zero to 20, um, even though the distance is larger. And that's because you have inertia and you have momentum. And so for us, it was just sustaining. It was just making sure that we developed good habits and then we just maintained those good habits. And so a couple of things that I think I did particularly well was I identified our top people in training classes very early on in their interview, typically. And then I poured into them right away. And I, you know, I started to vision forecast for them sort of what was possible for them. I was in their role playing breakout rooms during training. I was on the phone with them squashing parent concerns for sometimes an hour or hour and a half in the middle of training. And, you know, I was just getting them focused on their ability to do more than what they thought was possible. I was in uh, Lake Havasu this past weekend with a bunch of our 10 and 20K fast starters. One of them was Sydney Benz. And Sydney was like, hey, Kyle, without you, I would have sold 5K in my fast start. Now, I don't think that. I don't think that. She was really freaking talented. She's valedictorian. She's a hard worker. But like, I got her to 20K. And uh, most managers probably would have gotten her to somewhere between five and 10. And it was just that, that decision to like, I'm not going to let you give up on you. So that was the first thing. Going back to that first podcast episode, you and I had, Dan, just the idea of hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. And so I was really you know, willing to humble myself and ask for help and seek leadership and coaching to shorten my learning curve. And even now to this day, I'm constantly with Callie trying to figure out how can we build more systems? How can we improve upon what we have right now, make it more teachable, make it more efficient. So that way we can continue to actually scale up from these uh, these numbers that we're doing right now. And a little opposite of Kuvi and Hayes, like I also took the uh, I decided that uh, you know at the beginning I was just going to work my ass off. Like I was going to treat this like a startup company, and I was just not going to sleep. And uh, I knew that I was behind the eight ball. That there were people that had been doing this for years that had known how to do recruiting and interviewing, and I was brand new to the game. And I needed to treat myself like the rookie, like I was behind the eight ball. And so, almost every single day since last May, I worked eighteen plus hours almost every single day, with the exception of Fourth of July, where I think I worked ten. And uh, it was one of those things where I just decided I was going to catch up. And I really believed that if I worked my ass off early on and I built this thing, I'd be able to scale it earlier. I'd be able to run things more autonomously. But like you alluded to, Dan, run it autonomously at a high level, be able to delegate at a high level versus people who decide that they're going to step back too early on, in my opinion. And then they just end up always being mediocre. And I think the last thing was just like, I really believe and embodied the idea that if you build it, they will come. And so, you know, part of recruiting is just having complete conviction that you can take anyone and turn them into a rock star. And so I do my best to lead with my heart and try to do right by people on my team every single day so that they know unequivocally that I'm always looking out for them, even if it's at my expense. And uh, I invest extra time with my people. I stay up late to chat with them and I get up early to chat with them. And I, have just made a conscious decision to be their best friend, their best support partner in a way that like Ben was talking about earlier, they fall in love with the culture that they have here and the support that they have here. And they want to tell their friends about how much they love their job and their managers and how kind we are. And so we have people who reach out 
months after having left the business with orders for customers, with referrals saying, hey, I'm just got this awesome internship, but here are two of my friends that I told about the job and they want to work here. And uh, we just, we keep building out that way. Amazing stuff, Kyle. The hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. I think a lot of people need to hear that because I do think there's a lot of people who are very talented in Vector that just, they don't hit that tipping point of applying enough effort, particularly in the early stages. We've already talked about how, you know, working 16 or what you said, 18, wow, hours a day is not sustainable in the long term. But you know what, everyone listening, I busted my ass when I was new at this job. I busted my ass as a branch manager. And we won a silver cup like you did, Kyle, as a branch. And a big part of it was exactly what you just said, right? I was at the office relatively early in the morning, maybe not as early as you, because I've always been a night owl. I was up very late, maybe later than you, and working hard during that stretch to build something. And then once you've built it, now you're going from 40 to 70, like you described. It's way easier than going from zero to 20. And so establishing momentum is a huge key in being able to have an effective recruiting office. Kuval, you were number one in the Western region in recruits last year. You must have some stuff to add here. Yeah, I have two things. And just hearing what Kyle had to say was, was really great, Kyle. So I appreciate you sharing that stuff. But the one thing that, that I thought of when, when Kyle was speaking was like, he mentioned something like building it big and they will come. I feel like being that person that people want to follow is one of the biggest things that's needed to be a solid recruiter. Dan, I listened to the Flashback Friday with Trey, and I don't know if it was Trey that said it or you that expanded on one of Trey's ideas, but recruiting isn't just about getting the numbers. It's about genuinely caring for the people that you have around you. And I think last year with the personal growth that I was able to to take on and be able to be part of, sharing that with the other people that I had on my team to make them want to help the office achieve the goal. I'm sharing my sales manager now is Joshua, and he's been wanting to get into real estate since he was like 16, 17. And now being able to share with him what I'm doing in real estate and what I've learned through it has made him become more attached to me. And uh, he's told me, dude, wherever you go, I'm going with you. And that's just that partnership that we've created and that we're going to continue to to grow with. Uh, The next thing I thought about was the pursuit of the recruit. There's really not enough amazing people out there that we could work with. There's an infinite amount of people that are amazing that we could work with. I think I'm a great example of that, Dan. I found out about this job through an Omni recruiting program that Rising Sun tested in 2016. I was one of two people that launched from that entire program that summer. So just being able to to think that how many other people are out there that are just like me that have never heard about this before. That's what really motivates me as a recruiter to keep fighting for that next recruit, the pursuit of the recruit, because you never know who's that next, you know, me that has never even heard about this, that could just use that one PR call or PR text or that one through a message away. Yeah. And you know, when I think about the pursuit of the recruit, Kuvi, I also just think about what we do for people, right? We, we just talked at our summer management conference about Elijah Beeman, who is a district manager in our company who made a post on Facebook about his childhood and how difficult it was. And it, there was some shit that this guy went through that is like not what any of us have ever experienced. And he was recruited into Vector. Somebody recruited that guy and gave him a chance. And Vector has helped him to become a district manager. And now he, he can pay that forward to other people. And it's like, we do so much good work for people And going after recruiting is the best way to serve your market, to serve your territory, right? Going after it with recruiting, being aggressive with it. 
making the effort, putting in the hard work that it takes to hit solid recruiting projections. That's what enables us to be able to have the success we want and have the impact that we want. In that uh, flashback with Trey Ketchum, he said something about, we, you know, we go where students are at and students are on social media, right? Anthony, you, you're kind of well known as an expert at handling the social media side of recruiting. Do you have a tip or two you could share about implementing social media into the recruiting process on a weekly basis? Yeah, I think just going off what Ben and Kyle talked about um, in a big way is, is developing that momentum. And, and I think a big part of that is obviously we have this social media recruiting or marketing assistant program. But I think about in the same way that the best seller of Cutco is Cutco, you know, the best person to recruit for your team is your top recruits. Um, so I think about partnering and pinpointing, as Kyle mentioned, those top people, but not just ones that can go out and sell a lot, but the ones that you know you can build something with. And I think that's a really important part is that if you don't have a best friend or, or a little brother that you can get on your team and you know build out a list with, it's understanding. I think about Jana Santos from my team last year, who I saw her and I said, she is a person that I can build something with. And I, I told her that in her training. I remember her sending out 1,400 Snapchats uh, to let people know about our team. And from that came two branch managers and uh, seven reps who sold $10,000 for our team last year. So I think about how do you consistently find those people and bring them into your vision, into your culture and be really open and vulnerable with them. Hey, we need more people to hit our goals. And I think you can help us get that. And, and you'll be surprised how many people just rally behind that idea that you know they, they know, yeah, I could go out there and sell 10 or 20,000 but I can multiply my effect to create 80, 90, 100,000 and, and finding the ways to really do that. And then I think on a weekly basis, you know, we've been, I've been able to do that same concept with my assistant managers. And so they're all, they all message their own Instagram team or Instagram following list and Snapchat following list. Uh, and then at a point where they can't anymore, they're now messaging people outside of their network, people that they think just might be a great fit. You know, someone like a Kuval that, you know, just needs to see that message to go, hey, what's this about and bring on? And in fact, some of my top people, you know, I think about Logan Assad, you know, who did a 24K fast start this year, came from just a, a random Instagram message uh, from an assistant manager on my team. Yeah. I, I love the idea of just building off your top people. And I can remember all the way back when I was a manager sitting down with key reps and saying, hey, I want more of you, right? How can we make that happen? And we would discuss how we could make that happen and why it would be beneficial both for the person recommending people in terms of the challenge they would face if some of their friends were kicking butt and you know pushing them to the benefit to the friends being able to work here to the benefit to the team right and all the greater goods that come out of our you know building our teams those were all things that we would talk about all the time and i think are important things to be talking about frequently with uh, with our people that was some good stuff on uh, on recruiting you guys i want to shift gears talk a little bit about development all of you have not only had great recruiting this past year plus, but uh, you also have had some really exciting things happening with your development. Kuval, you've got a new district manager going out in Jaden Rivers. You have somebody who's going to be the division office manager for Southland that came out of your office. Uh, you also developed one of the top DMs last year in the Western region. Uh, in Doug, Kyle, you've got your sales manager is now going to be a district manager. One of your top AMs is now going to be a branch manager. They are both just stoked and are looked upon as like high contenders for top competitors this coming year. Ben, you've got 
four branch managers going out after starting as a manager one year ago. That's crazy to think about. And Anthony, I mean, you you had Edson Garcia and Stuart Nato last year. Stuart, one of the top DMs, new DMs in the company. This year now, you've got another district manager going out, which is Calista Cervantes, and three branch managers on top of that. That's some really, really amazing development work happening by all of you. I'm going to start with Anthony on this one. I want to ask you, what do you think are some of the vital components of being a great developer as a DM? Yeah. So I think about four things. I think what you have, you have to give your people a vision. You have to give them time, give them an example, and give them confidence. Uh, and I think those are the four things that weekly I'm building with my people. You know, My stump speech that I give every interview, every training... Uh, every SMMA interview, every team meeting is... I, I talk about the concept of just leadership in general. I think the world needs more leaders. And I think everything we do as people is is a semblance of our leadership, right? We're all leaders no matter if we like it or not. You know, Whether you're being a leader for you know the person in the office next to you, the person at the gym, person taking a test near you, uh, or for your team, your family, your community, like what you do is your leadership. And so I think that leadership is the one true transferable skill to any market. And so you, the fact that we work with more young professionals than any company in North America tells me that it's our obligation to develop young leaders so that they can be successful with us or they can be successful as they move past us. So everything I do in my organization is just designed to create leaders, whether it's a PDI call uh, in the first weekend for a fast starter, telling them that they're doing great. And I, I would love to talk about leadership down the road. Every PC is I break down concepts of how to get them to their next leadership opportunity, whether that's key staff, assistant manager in training, uh, or starting to talk about what it would look like to be a branch manager. I give a stump speech at, at every interview, every training, uh, every team meeting. I, I give probably the same stump speech on what we're building in our organization, with our dirty 30 vision of two districts, five branches, 10 assistant managers, and 13 key staff members twice a month, at least. The, you know, Shout out to Andrew Nickerson, uh, who gave me the, the blueprint for that. So it's just a key talking point in everything we do. All I want people thinking about is how do I become a leader within this organization? And how is that going to benefit me and everyone around me at a higher level? And that's just constantly what I'm talking about. That is my most important conversation every single week is who can I have a leadership conversation with? That was gold, Anthony. Just the phrase that you said, everything that I do is designed to create leaders, right? That every conversation is is promoting some element of where people are headed, the opportunities they have, and why those opportunities can be so valuable to them. You said leadership is the most important transferable skill that people gain working with us, right? And the more that people understand and realize that, the more they'll want to elevate beyond the sales rep level to become a key staff person, to become an assistant manager, ultimately to perhaps be a branch or a district manager, and to be able to truly develop and hone that skill. And I love your four components, vision, time, example, and confidence. Kubi, I bet there are some other hidden nuggets beyond the obvious stuff that like leads to good development. What, what would you want to chime in here? Yeah, I think Hayes covered all of the major things that a lot of the great developers I've seen embody and, and give to their people. 
I think my biggest strength as a developer is being able to give people time, attention, and, and really move anything that I need to to be able to give my development the time and the attention that they need or deserve. Uh, last summer, uh, you know, with the volume that we had in our office last year in terms of recruiting and sales, I think we had two weeks all of last summer under 30 grand in total business. A couple of those 40, 50, even a 60 couple, I think two 60K weeks. Just because of the volume, my workday had to start at, you know, very early in the morning. I had individual coaching calls with my top people, my development starting at 6.15 a.m., pretty much from June to the end of the summer. And I think about that very first spot that I had. Not every manager needs to do this. I just enjoy working and getting started early in the day. The very first call slot that I had basically from June to the end of the summer at 6.15 was Jaden Rivers, who's now the DM in Vegas, new DM. And that man could have left this business for a number of different reasons, maybe four or five times during the summer. But I think about us being able to give him that key time that he needed to be able to learn, grow, and develop. And now he's going to be one of the best, one of the top new DMs in the entire region this summer in Vegas because of the time of the development that we were able to help him achieve. Yeah. I just love the idea of identifying people in your organization that could be great leaders, whatever it is that you see in them, whether it's that they've got some great charisma that you see, or they've sold a lot, or maybe it's just, you like them a lot and pouring time into those people to help them be able to to see that vision of what could be for them and helping them uh, bring that to fruition. That's so good. Ben, you developed four branch managers here in your first summer. I was thinking about this. My first summer, I developed four assistant managers for the next year. And one of those four became a branch the year after that. So there you go. That was my first couple summers of development right there. But man, four branches coming out of one summer of work for you. What's helped you to get that job done? Yeah. I mean, lots of Great stuff there from from Anthony and Kubi, but I definitely agree with all that. The leadership, the time, the example, all that stuff was great. Lots of the main stuff that was already given. But you know, me personally, when I went into this, I I wasn't necessarily too sure how I was going to necessarily influence someone to become a DM or you know all of this. And and you know, one thing that Kevin always told me to keep my mind on was the reason why I started. And the reason why I became a DM, kind of like we talked about in the beginning, and that was to be able to create an environment where people felt comfortable and safe being themselves. And I think that this year was this last year when these four people wanted to come become branches. Typically, you hear like some of Anthony said, "Is like, hey, have you ever thought about leadership? Have you ever thought about you know becoming a branch?" I never had that question with these people. These four people came to me and were like, "Hey, I want to be a branch. What do I got to do to be a branch?" And it totally caught me off guard. I remember right after those calls. I was calling Kevin like, Hey, this person just told me they want to be a branch. Like, what does that mean? And I just remember like going, Whoa, like this is crazy. Like they want to be. And I, I really believe when I look at it and I think about it, the one thing that helped me become a manager was knowing that I had support behind me. I had someone behind me in my corner that was going to fight for me just as hard as I was going to fight for myself. Right. I had Kevin Donahue, I had Ryan Williams and the other managers here in the LA division. And that was my goal to be able to give my people 100% support so that they can make the decision for themselves based on what they knew was best for them because they had support, right? Not having the fear of, oh, I can't do this because of I'm alone, because I'm only X, Y, Z years old, right? But to go into it because I have the support, because I have the leadership behind me. And when I talk to my people now and they're like, oh, one of my questions I ask, I asked this last week was like, hey, what's the biggest like fear or what's the biggest thing that stresses you out when it comes to opening up your office. 
And every time I heard a response, it was, don't worry, I got your back. Right. I completely understand feeling that way. But hey, I'm here. We're here. We're going to figure this out together, just like we did when you were a rep. And, and I think that, I, and I see this kind of like the smile build up in their face, especially like my, my sales manager, Adam, right? He's, you know, my best friend is someone who's going to go out and run a huge branch office this summer. I think he's going to be one of the top branches in the whole Western region. And, and, you know, I had, I had a question with him. I was like, Hey, you know, what can I be for you this summer? How can I be there for you in the best way possible? And, and he looked to me and he said, I just need you. I just need you to be you. I don't need you to be anybody else. I just need Ben Lee. I just need you as the friend that you've always been and someone who's just got my back. You do those things, I'll be okay. I love that. I love that. You could just tell that people working with you, Ben, have this feeling of certainty and security, I guess you could say, that you're going to provide what they need. If they see an opportunity, they know they want to go after it, that you're going to be there to help them make the best of it. They don't have to be afraid to take that next step. I think it also helps that they all know that you took that step so quickly. And also that you're so young. I mean, you are 20 years old for anybody who's listening. The average age, by the way, of these four guys is 23.5 on this uh, Zoom recording that we're doing here today. And it's pretty incredible to think about the success that has been achieved at such early ages for so many of you. And I think that that has helped inspire a lot of people. Yes, Kyle Lopes raises the average of uh, of the four of you guys. Speaking of Kyle. I want to frame this question a little bit differently for you, old man, 27-year-old. Development is not something that just happens all of a sudden in an organization. You know, it's not like you arrive at the end of the summer and all of a sudden you're like, whoa, where did all these great people come from, right? It's a process that happens daily and weekly in an organization. And I want to ask you, Kyle, what does the weekly process look like for a rep on your team? Somebody that's growing up? In your office, what's the support that they're receiving on a weekly basis that helps them move from one step to the next to the next and be retained and developed over time? Yeah. Uh, first off, you know, uh, Kuval, Anthony, Ben, like great stuff. Like so much I took from from your insights just there. Really appreciate it. And I seek it to maybe give some more concise things that people can do on a weekly basis to help move the needle for their teams. In our first 10 months being open... We now have 18 assistant managers in our team, and we have another four AMI applications that are pending. And you know, there's a couple of things that we're really focused on within my organization to make sure that we're developing leaders and we're doing it early on. I think the first thing is making sure that you know, understanding that development starts with framing, starts with setting expectations, letting people know the culture that they're joining from day one. A lot of people, I say this in training, the first time in our debrief at the end of the first day of training, as people got their first like real whiff of the experience and like, whoa, you know, I've been I've been on Zoom for a few hours today. I'm starting to feel a little drained. I let people know like, hey, you know, as an athlete, most people never experience what it's like to be number one at something especially not number one at a large scale, right? Some people might be number one in their league, in their little town or city. Maybe they become number one in their district, maybe number one in the region. Hardly ever anyone becomes number one statewide and almost never does somebody become number one in the nation at something. And I tell our people from day one, like, just so you know, if you're in that boat, which 99.99999% of people are, that changes right now. As of right now, you are not part of the number one team in all of North America. And I let people know right from the get-go what they're joining, letting them know that they're going to be supported and that they're going to be expected to be successful. 
I think that's really important for people to know from the beginning is this is not a place where we like are going to just like hope that you are okay, hope that you're serviceable. Like you are going to be successful here. And it's not even a question in my mind. And I think that a lot of people, they navigate their lives being average at best at most things they do. And I let people know right from the get-go that because we have great training, we have great systems, we have great leaders, and we've got a plethora of great leaders at this point in our team, they are going to be successful. And just instilling that belief system right from the get-go. I think another thing is we've been really intentional with the way that we structured our weekly team meetings. We are really focused on driving demos. And I know that different managers have different philosophies and that's okay. Like everybody runs their own business in different ways and finds success their own ways. For our office, we run a shorter meeting toyed with the idea of maybe extending it a little bit, but uh, we keep it pretty short, pretty tight. And uh, a third of our team meeting is recognition. And a third of our team meeting is a phone jam. And the last third of it is teaching. And uh, we don't blow away people every single week with a lot of teaching topics. We have one teaching topic every week that we expound on for about 30 minutes, give them the goods, give them stuff that they can implement right away, and then we let them go. And the reason that I do that is because I've been to the conferences as a rep where we sit at a conference for four or five hours and I have a whole notebook full of notes and I then try to implement 12 different things on my next five demos, have no sales, no recs on all of them, and then go, what the hell? I just spent five hours learning and improving what the hell just happened. And it's because they were inundated with too much information. And so I want to teach them every week just a few things. That's just my personal philosophy. But I really focus on their demo goals at the team meetings. I need to make sure that they get demos booked because it's not enough to get a lot of people to show up at the team meeting. We consistently in the summer and throughout a majority of the fall had 50 plus people at our team meetings every single week. And the reason they kept showing up wasn't because I was really good at making the team meetings fun. It was because they were getting a paycheck every week. And that was because I made them get demos of the team meeting. Hmm. And people are not going to keep showing up if they're not getting paid every single week. So... And then we do fun things afterwards, you know, and we, we try to recreate that feeling of community, albeit virtual, but we try to do some fun things afterwards. We do, you know, Quiplash and Among Us and Scribble and all kinds of different things uh, with our team. And then one last thing or two last things I'll just say real quick is giving people a chance to succeed. So these other gentlemen talked about this a little bit, but giving people the chance to succeed really early on, putting people in positions to expand their beliefs in themselves, promoting them early. We have steadily lowered the bar in our office, as weird as that sounds. We have lowered the bar. And the reason why is because I want to lower the barrier to entry for people to move on to the next level where they get more exposure to me and to the higher level people on our team. I want to lower that bar because right now in a virtual setting, they need more exposure if I hope to retain them and develop them. And so initially it was like, oh, wow, key staff, they've got to be at 10K. And it was, okay, maybe key staff is like 6K. And now it's like, I don't even know if key staff is at 6K. Like we were promoting people for key staff for tomorrow night's team meeting today. And we're like, I don't know, this person's at 3K, but they've got a great personality. And so we're trying to get people exposed to us early on because they crave that connection. And by giving it to them earlier, they're more bought in. They're willing to break through their glass ceilings. They stick around longer. We hold weekly key staff meetings. Again, people are hungry for personal growth. And so is it hard for me to run like a two more key staff meetings every single month and give an extra two hours of my time plus all the prep time for those meetings? Yeah, of course. But the results speak for themselves. And I have this person on our team, Olivia McConaughey. She goes to Santa Clara 
alma mater, Dan. And, you know, she was telling me like, I love this stuff. The key staff meeting is what I live for. It's what I am so excited to do every single week is I know that I'm growing every single week. And so that's something that I'm committed to doing, even though it takes more work. And then we really leverage our group chats here. We get people connected on three-way texts to set up field trainings. We, like you talked about earlier, Dan, we watch demos. We have people record their demos. How incredible is this Zoom opportunity where people can easily just click a button and now I can put their demo on 1.5 speed and watch it while I'm in eating dinner or I'm in the shower and like I could either be playing a podcast or I could be listening to their demo and I could be making really quick little tip like check marks is like, okay, cool. You need to change your ver- verbiage here. You need to change the way that you introduce this. Stop like giving people an out when you say this line. And it's incredible when we are just constantly coaching people through that and through their check-in calls, how much improvement they see on a weekly and daily basis. Wow, Kyle, that was just a plethora of stuff right there. Starting with framing the culture right? That you are going to be successful. Here's what you're a part of now. And by the way, when people promote what reps are going to be a part of, it does not have to be number one in the company. Uh, Not everybody can say that. It's whatever the manager is truly excited and enthusiastic about, people will tend to mirror enthusiasm for that. It can be number one in your division, which is probably an achievable aspiration for anybody to strive for. Framing the culture, you're going to be successful. The team meetings having a combination of recognition with writing demos with teaching as well. You described that you only do a 30 minutes of teaching, Kyle. And I I would take away the word only because I think there are a lot of managers that don't do very much teaching at all at events and therefore reps aren't getting any value. And so even though they feel good from the recognition and they're doing demos and making money, they aren't getting value in terms of learning. So they don't continue coming and then they just stop doing demos and then they end up leaving, right? So you're providing those three elements, which are really key. Um, the focus on demo goals that you described and then running key staff, which as you described is a higher level of personal development for your people. I think you've modeled your key staff a lot after what you saw when you were you know, in the San Jose office and we did a lot of personal growth at our key staff events. Um, and yeah, and I just felt like that's a key element of that weekly support. Any of the rest of you guys want to tackle this one on just what the support network looks like on a weekly basis for a rep in your office? Anybody feel like they got anything else they want to chime in on this one? I just want to add one thing. Um, Cause I know Kyle talked about this in January and it was one of the switches we made in January, but having live phone calls, you know, and I know Kyle talked about a lot of great things. In fact, I'm over here sitting thinking about some uh, things that I can be adding to my own business. But, you know, Kyle mentioned himself that you have to have live phone calls. And so I know, um, you know, just having a PDI program where you're making actual live phone calls, obviously we have the opportunity to be more interactive and, and in fact, see our people more. But I think it's still extremely important, whether it was in 2015 vector or in 2021 vector, you know, just to make sure you're picking up the phone and having those live conversations with people building that relationship and giving them that support. You know, I think one of the things that Jay Brad, you know, my division manager constantly saying is, you know, if we're not influencing our people, someone or someone else is. So it's making sure that you are that voice they hear as consistently as possible to allow them to achieve those goals that they set out for. Yeah, exactly. Strong. To take that to another level, Anthony, live phone calls, obviously more effective than trying to text people and, and, you know, create 
relationships and create activity and have that powerful impact. I know that for you, uh, in-person impact has been really significant and continues to be really significant as well. And I want to give you a chance to address how you are leveraging your in-person influence with your people. Yeah. You know, the first thing that came to my mind when I heard this question was, I know on our previous podcast, Trey Harris, uh, it said, it's easy to quit a job. It's hard to quit a relationship. And I think that's exactly what we use in-person you know, opportunities for. I think it's just, we, we just try to find an opportunity to connect with people. Um, over the summer, my two of my branch managers were, and my district manager were in my office almost every single day, doing their demos, uh, being on conference calls with me, just giving me more opportunity to connect with them and, and to influence them. I work out with three of my managers deploying this summer, uh, three times a week at least, which is an amazing opportunity to get to see them grow mentally. That's one of my favorite things to do. It also kind of goes back to the fact that I have to be a leader in everything I do that even if I'm tired and, and not feeling that workout, it's, you got to go hard and make sure you're you're crushing that. But just finding a reason to connect. You know, I think about, as Ben mentioned, he said, you know, why did you start? What I loved, one of the biggest things I loved about the job is creating those relationships and, and creating that connection with people. Absolutely, I've been able to do that over Zoom. But I think just having that 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 extra fist bump, finding ways to to meet people, to finding reasons to you know see them, whether it's some of my assistant managers are athletes right now, so getting to go to their water polo games, their soccer games, um, especially things where it's not cut correlated, I, I think means a lot to people. And that you know, I think as everyone has mentioned here. When they know you care, they're willing to go. People are willing to go above and beyond when they are, are tied into that leader. And so, part of it, of course, is that I know this is going to strengthen our development, right? It's going to strengthen their their belief, their their loyalty, and uh, and in, in what we're creating. But it's also just a way to create that relationship and to really strengthen and deepen that at, at a higher level. So using every opportunity we can, whether that's leveraging a contest for a dinner uh, or it's just inviting people to spin class with us. You know, when we tell them, hey, we go to spin class a few times a week, if you want to go, you know, it's COVID safe, come on, come on by. And uh, just getting to, you know, have that opportunity for them to to be around what I think is a fun group of people. And I think when they have that, it makes them want to move up. It makes them want to continue working with us because they know there's going to be more opportunities to do great fun things with our team. And if that sometimes that means driving an, an hour or two, then you make it happen because you know it's going to pay off in the long run. Yeah. I just love how you're looking for ways to get in person with people on your team and being able to, to have that power that occurs you know, when you're, when you're uh, together with people. Kuvi, I know you leverage in-personal impact a lot with your assistant manager staff in particular. Do you want to speak to that briefly? Yeah, I'd love to. So whenever we have the opportunity to have our staff come into the office, it's still obviously Los Angeles and not all of my people that are on staff have the ability to get to and from the office, just limited transportation. But the ones that I am able to have in the office with me while it is virtual, I've always had that philosophy that whenever I teach somebody anything, I always follow the I do, we do, you do concept. Think about people like Doug back in 2018 when he was a brand new rep in AM. 
he watched probably 10 or 12 interviews. And then we split up the interview. It was definitely weird at first because we would have one person doing the pre-video, then video, then someone doing the post-video, and we were doing the we do. And then I did the the you do where Doug did the entire interview, and I watched probably 10 to 15 before I even let him do his, his own interviews. So whenever I have an AM in the office and they're able to do an apex, kind of like how Kyle was, was watching his little brother do his third apex, I'm doing the same thing. I'm either having it recorded so I'm able to review it with them later, and we have a whole Google drive full of those recordings that we can review. And I'm probably sitting two or three feet away from them. And I'm taking notes aggressively to, to really help them understand what they could be doing at a little bit of a higher level, but really importantly for a new person on staff, what they're doing already at a very high level to build their confidence back up too. Um, and then just thinking about the development Whenever I have the ability to speak with my people in person, we went out to a staff dinner last Wednesday, the first staff dinner that we've had in a very long time. I, I want to take all these notes down mentally and then transfer them to my notes on my people. So when I'm having these intimate conversations with them, I can pull up these notes in my head and I can really engage with them and connect with them at a deeper level. One of my newest assistant managers, she's an absolute rock star. Her name is Ryan. Her dad had some health issues and I was able to, to remember all of these conversations that we've had and he finally returned back to work and I was really able to get down. And, and really understand with her how she was feeling behind all of it because I understood all those in-person interactions that her and I had. So when her dad got back to work, she was feeling some type of way and I was able to really mentor and coach her through that, which has then strengthened her and mine relationship in addition to not only the Cutco stuff, but also the out-of-work stuff too. Excellent. Excellent. I mean, really great stuff right there. And look, Kyle, I know that you, you didn't really have a chance to do any of this stuff in person. It was impossible for you in your first year. You were in another state. Uh, as you're running your branch office, but you're able to establish community virtually. Uh, you want to chime in anything else here on how you establish community virtually? Yeah, it was uh, definitely challenging. It was it had to be super intentional, for sure. Um, one of the acronyms you taught me when I was a new rep, Dan, was AGAS. And uh, it stands for actually give a shit. And in a virtual setting, you need to do that more than ever. And so I always, uh, actually, Anthony was talking about this a little earlier today during our SMC, but I always just asked about them. Like, it didn't need to always be about business. It didn't always need to be about Cutco. A lot of times, if you help them solve their issues, they're going to figure out the business stuff. And so, um, you know, I would stay up late. Uh, Dan, I'd, I would actually probably rival a lot of your late hours, I would guess. And uh, I was very, very late, many, many nights. And I would get up early and I'd go the extra mile to show them that you care. And I'd have reps, you know, tell each other on Zoom calls and I'd overhear like, this guy never sleeps. And it's like, yeah, but it's like, I cared because they could tell. And one of the quotes that I heard, I think when I was a new rep, maybe my first or second year here was just the, the fact that people don't remember what you said. They remember how you made them feel. And so that was something that really was a driving force in our team and still is a driving force for all of our managers is AGAS all the time, every time they're on a PDI call. Um, I set up staff days where I bought food for everyone and we got Uber Eats or DoorDash and we sent it to them. And then we were on Zoom all day, but they had their breakfast or their lunch covered by me. And we just tried to do things like that to make sure that people felt like they were appreciated. And we went the extra mile all the time. I'm not somebody who is a big words of affirmation guy. That's not my love language. And yet I needed to become a big words of affirmation guy in order to make sure that this worked because people needed to be reminded all the time when I couldn't be there in person to give them a hug or take them out and do nice things with them. They need to be reminded all the time how grateful I was for them and for their contribution, or they were going to feel like they didn't have anything to contribute. 
And then I think the last two things was getting people really focused on the next event when we would be able to see each other in person. And so this trip to Lake Havasu, Arizona this past weekend, where I got to hang out with these three gentlemen, I've been promoting this trip since the inception of our office. And uh, now that the trip's over, I am now promoting the trip to Las Vegas in September. And when that trip's over, I'm going to be promoting the trip to Cabo. And I'm just going to keep doing that because you need to drive people to the next event. You need to give them something to look forward to, that pot at the end, the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. So that way they don't feel like they're just doing the same thing every single day. It helps them stay motivated. It gives them hope. And so I'm already talking about how we're going to have a whole squadron of people in Vegas and everybody's going to come over to our place and it's going to be an awesome time. Uh, and the last thing we did is uh, we tried to add some personal touch here and there. And so as we were sort of creating an LLC and creating a business name and stuff like that and creating a logo, Callie Lott, our sales manager, she's going to be an unbelievable district manager. She's really the person that makes this whole thing run behind the scenes. She was like, hey, why don't we like get them jackets or something? I was like, awesome idea. Let's do it. And swag. So, so we got them some Cutco swag, except it was Precipice Ventures swag. And we got them all these Columbia jackets embroidered with their logo. Nice jackets. They cost a lot of money. And we sent them to their houses for them uh, as Christmas presents. And they arrived a little past Christmas, but they were super appreciative. And they were posting pictures in our group chat, our manager group chat of them all rocking their swag. And they were so excited and they wear it all the time. And I caught like four of them on this trip in Arizona. It's 90 degrees and they're rocking their jackets at the resort. I'm like, you guys should not have those here. And yet they're just (laughs) so proud of it. And we sent out, I believe, uh, 13 jackets. All 13 people are still here and we have more jackets to order. And you know, that type of just like really making people feel like they're a part of something larger than themselves is a way for us to try to make it as equitable to being in person as possible. Yeah, that's cool. Jackets, guys. Jackets are the key. I see Hayes writing that down. He's ordering some jackets. Nice. Guys, there's going to be a lot of young managers listening. There's going to be perhaps some entrepreneurs that want to run better businesses who are listening. Any last keys? that we've left out that you feel like you want to chime in on here? All right. I got a few. And then people can take some after me too. So the first thing is like leading by example, the idea that, you know, what you do speaks so loudly, I cannot hear what you're saying. And so if you want people to work hard, you need to model what hard work looks like. So that way they know what, when you say, Hey, I need you to work harder. They know what that actually tangibly means. You know, making sure that people know that you're a person of your word, that you're a person of integrity. This idea of trust, and, and we talk about trust all the time, how trust is the, the currency of, of today and the currency of the future. And you know, it takes a lifetime to build trust, it takes five minutes to break it. And so when you commit to something, it's following through. That's something I learned from you, Dan when I was 18. And then, you know, time management as an entrepreneur, as a business owner here or elsewhere, being able to manage time. And I tell this to my reps, you know, how Elon Musk. I learned this when I was 19. He divvies up his day into five-minute increments. Now, that's crazy. Like, I'm not doing that for sure. But it shows you the how much he values his time. And I think growing up, actually, I know growing up that we are groomed from birth to not value our time. We are groomed from birth to have parents, like we have plans with our friends. And then Friday night, we're planning on going out with our friends that night. Our parents are like, oh, psych, by the way, you're hanging out with us and we're going to the grocery store. Oh, we're going to a movie or oh, we're going out of the town for the weekend. And we're taught 
inherently that our time is not as valuable as other people's. And so it's really important that I teach my people to take ownership of their schedule. And when they really start to think about how they spend their minutes, this idea of spending their time intentionally, they can start to look at, okay, was that expense frivolous or was that expense worth it? Mm, Good stuff there, Kyle. Very valuable. Anybody else want to chime in on this last one? Yeah, Dan, I have I have one thing that I feel like was was a pivotal change in my mentality and my thinking over the last couple of years. And you guys all know Hayes and I are, are very, very close to my best friend. We've been working together since 2018. And one of the biggest things that I know he dealt with and I dealt with was we were trying so hard to mentally, physically, emotionally in the business compete against each other. And we were never running our own individual race. And I feel like competition is very, very healthy. But I feel like when somebody's able to really focus on themselves and really learn their strengths and focus on their strengths and instead of trying to beat somebody else's strengths, that's really where my quantum leap kind of came from, where I wasn't focusing on trying to beat anybody, but just who I was yesterday. So really being able to focus on what my biggest strengths are and narrowing down on those and just hammering those home every single day. And that's really where the biggest thing came from. So I think in any business that's going to be healthy is to be able to have somebody you can point to and be like, Hey guys, we want to beat Hayes this week, but it's more than just trying to beat Hayes. It's more using Hayes as leverage for the team. And for me, just being the better version of myself to help push the team to then beat Hayes. I love you, Hayes. Excellent. He loves you too, Kuvi. I guess I could throw some things in here. Two things that come to mind. I, you know, definitely loved all that fire that Kyle and Kuvi just gave. Uh, me personally, as I guess any advice that I would give to someone who's open up any type of business is that everything's 100% on you. And I think I just, I've heard a lot of people over the years, just whether they're running this business or any kind of business that, you know, oh, my business isn't going as well or things aren't running as well because of XYZ and it's everything else except for me. And I, I think that's one of the biggest things that's helped enable me to get back on top of have a dip week or have a week that doesn't go as well is just to be like, okay, you know, I'm going to take 100% responsibility for this and I'll tell my staff, I'll tell my team, I'll tell like, hey, this week was on me. Right. But at the same time, from here on out, what also happens is on me as well. And so we're going to do this together. And, and, you know, I think being able to take that, that ownership and have that vulnerability in a sense as a, as a leader, um, is something that one, uh, I think definitely makes a big impression on a lot of people, but two, uh, it's just a good, healthy habit to have. And especially as an entrepreneur, I think it's really big. Uh, it's a really big skill. It's a hard skill to have. I was, I'm someone who's very working on not being a stubborn, someone who's working on, uh, uh, you know, I'm always having to win and, and all this, but I think being able to finally take that ownership has helped me improve my business in a lot of ways that I didn't necessarily have in my first couple of months. And so that's one thing. And the other thing is, is that I've just always really paid attention to as a manager is making sure you're doing things for the right reasons. And I think as a district manager, I, sometimes you see people who do it for the money. Uh, sometimes you see people who do it for, there's tons of different reasons why you could do it. But I think as a district manager and as a business owner, you, the reasons for why you're doing what you're doing, at least here in Vector, is because you're trying to impact people, right? And you know, one thing Kevin always told me was like, hey, you know, if you asked any one of your representatives or managers who are the top three to five most influential people in their lives, you would be on that list. So knowing that, how are you going to show up for them? And I think being able to then come from that mindset of like, hey, where this person's headed is based on the actions that I take with them. That makes me just sit back and just take wonders about what am I really doing with my people? How am I showing up? Is if, if I was in their position, what I'm giving to them is that is that fair to them? Am I giving them my all? 
right? Every time I show up to a meeting or, or a PC, kind of like Kyle's talking about, I sleep more than Kyle does because I can't do the whole 18 hour thing. But I do definitely make sure that whatever I show up to, no matter what it is, I'm giving my 100% because if I was this person who needed the same type of help, I know that I would want my managers 100%. And so I, that's the two topics right there. I think being able to take ownership and making sure that you are doing things for the right reasons. I love what you said, Ben, about the five most impactful people and thinking about who those are for you. I think this is a great exercise anybody can do right now is identify who are the five most impactful people that you've ever had in your life. Send them all a note today because they'll appreciate it more than you might possibly know. But then think the other way around. How many people would have you on their list right now? And how many people will have you on their list 5, 10, 15, or 20 years from now? Because when you think about that, you realize the effect that you can have as a leader, it is so powerful uh, to think about. And the, the ownership piece that you shared, Ben, uh, was pretty amazing. And I remember Trey Harris in our podcast episode saying one of the reasons he was afraid of being a branch was because it's 100% on him. And then after having branched and learned about being a leader and being a great leader, that one of the reasons why he wanted to become a district manager was because it was going to be 100% on him. And he knew he could embrace that and be great with that. And by the way, if you're a district manager listening to this podcast, the Trey Harris episode is one of my favorite episodes I've had. The clinic on how to be a great district manager. Check that one out. That was just great stuff. So excellent. I appreciate it. The last questions that I want to ask you guys center around your current aspirations and just why you feel like your future is going to be so compelling and so exciting. Maybe we'll take this one youngest to oldest, Ben. Yeah. So me personally, a lot of the reasons why I do what I do is, you know, one, I was, I was raised a certain way and I, I think that my parents expect a lot out of me, but I also, I also want to make it one day to the point where they don't have to work another day in their lives. Cause you know, one of the things we actually talked about in the management conference today, and you actually brought this up, Dan was, was thinking about how much the people like our ancestors and our, our the people related to have sacrificed for us to be here in this moment right now. And I just think about everything that my mom has been through. I think about everything that my dad has been through. I've heard all the stories throughout the years and how much they've sacrificed for me to be able to be sitting here talking on this call right now. And it's, it's amazing to me. I, and I can't ever repay them enough for that. And I think that becoming the right person for them, becoming the man and the son that they want me to be uh, is definitely on the top of my priority list. Uh, second on the top of my priority list is, you know, I'm, I'm learning right now how to show up for the people that I love that are around me. And I think that this company is providing me a great opportunity to be able to figure out who that guy is. And I'm not sure if the people that I have around me right now are necessarily the ones that I'm going to be with forever. But I do know that people like my family, right? I'm going to have a wife and I have kids. Right? I know those people are coming. They're not here right now. I don't know what they look like. right? But I do know that they're going to be here one day. And I do know that, that me right now, I, you know, some people are always like, why are you thinking like that so much? But I know that I want to make sure that I'm giving my all right now for those people because if my kids and my wife, my family was sitting here right now looking at me while I do everything I do. Could I ask them if I am I giving my all for you guys? And I want to be able to say yes to that one day. And that's why I really think that being in this company and do what I'm doing is really, really I'm I'm right where I need to be. That's so awesome. Very gallant, Ben. I love I love hearing stuff like that. That's awesome. Kubi, current aspirations. Why do you feel like your future will be so compelling? 
Ben, that was awesome, man. I feel like we could just cut it. <laughs> we could cut it there, dude. That was sweet. Uh, you know, I'm super excited about the opportunity that I've had, Dan, as a DM, and I'm really excited to be able to grow even more with, with what I've already learned over the last couple of years. Um, I think all of you guys already know, but I'm taking a master's program right now for one of the top schools in the nation in the specific program that I'm studying in. going to be using my DM opportunity to graduate there 100% loan and debt free in December, which is very exciting. I'm on pace to acquire another property in the next couple of weeks here to make it three before my next birthday, which is another super exciting feat that I'm going to accomplish before the next birthday. And one thing that I've been very vocal about is being able to, to leverage my time and, and really where I'm putting all my energy. And I feel like one of the best things and the coolest things about the district manager opportunity, I don't know if it was mentioned enough on here, but for the new managers that are listening, being able to, to really work your tail off when you're new to be able to learn everything you need to learn to get to this point where you know Kyle's at, where Ben's at, where Anthony's at, where I'm at, to be able to delegate accordingly and be able to run a really sweet business, to be able to then use your time to explore other interests and areas. And I feel like that's one of the coolest things that we can do as a, as, as a DM with this opportunity that we have. Uh, Dan, I know I talked to you about this back in, uh, in San Jose at the DM Summit or DM Pillar Meeting. But I, I really do believe that by the end of this year, my passive investments will be able to cover all my living expenses. So I'll theoretically be living and working, doing my doing my position that I have right now, which I absolutely enjoy, just out of the full fulfillment and the joy of actually doing it and just doing it for fun at that point, not necessarily relying on the income part of it, even though that's an amazing thing. And I feel like setting us up, us, I mean, me, my family, everybody that I'm around with success for the future because of what I'm learning here is one of the coolest parts about the, the job and what I'm most excited about for the next you know X amount of years here too. Amazing. And how cool would it be to be in a spot where you're working because it's fun and you love what you do and you're impacting people and it's just continuing to build all of your opportunities. So cool to see you get to that point and uh, at such a young age or striving to get to that point at such a young age. Anthony. Yeah, for me, yeah, I have a lot of vector aspirations to, uh, to hit on still. You know, obviously, these three gentlemen here kicked my butt last year, which is exciting for me to be here in general. So, you know, I have a lot of things that I still want to accomplish here. I, you know, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to having the opportunity to move up uh, to a division manager role one day here as well. And, you know, honestly, I just, I really found a, a real passion and enjoyment and love for just mentoring and coaching young people you know, over the last year. And I'm excited to continue to do that here with Invector. Uh, I'm looking to get into some coaching with uh, a high school basketball team where I'm going to be able to, you know, take some of the things I think mentally that I've learned here and, and give that to something I love in basketball and sports and, you know, potentially looking into coaching down the road as well. Um, and so obviously a lot of those things and just being able to work with young professionals is, is really, really exciting for me. And I'm really looking forward to that. And obviously being able to parlay that into other opportunities and, and, you know, Kuval being my best friend, I got some, some uh, real estate to learn apparently here as well. But uh, just kind of like he said, getting to a point where, you know, you're doing this for fun, you're doing it for the passion and you're doing it for really the opportunities that you're sharing is, is something I'm really excited to get towards here in the near future. Yep. Amazing. Well, we didn't cut it off after Ben. We left Kyle for last. Hopefully that wasn't a mistake. Kyle, just kidding, man. What do you got? Current aspirations. Why is the future going to be so compelling for you? That was dangerous, Dan. I might have fallen asleep. I'm too old. So past my bedtime. You know, it I, is late. It is late here tonight. 
<laughs> I think, uh, you know, for me, short term, you know, I, I aspire this year to have an office. We did uh, almost 1.1 last year in our first eight months. And our goal is to do uh, over 2 million this year. Shout out Ben Skemper. His record is 1.6 million. And so uh, I want to take Ben down. He's my mentor and my coach and another previous guest on the podcast. And, uh, and so I'm, you know, I want to go ahead and, and have our organization do over $2 million this year while also working drastically less and helping uh, two of my best friends, Josh Sullivan and Callie Lott, who are going out and running their own organizations this week, helping them have incredible experiences as managers of their own startups and looking, you know, more long-term sort of like what Kuvi and Hayes and Ben were talking about is just, I want to make sure that I'm continuing to do the right things on a daily, weekly, monthly basis to leverage this experience to get into a good grad school, hopefully a top tier program like Kuvi's in and continue to build out my network and create a, a raving horde of fans for life. And ultimately, like you alluded to earlier, Dan, my ambitions lay in politics and they lie in government. And I hope to ascend to the highest levels in our government so I can positively impact and support, you know, not just hundreds or thousands or millions, but hopefully billions of people before my life is over. Incredible to hear the things that you guys are all striving for. When I look at you guys, I see such immense greatness already and just infinite potential beyond the greatness that I already see. I look at you guys and Ben, you're 20, Kuvi, you're 23, Anthony, you're 24, Kyle, you're 27. And I just think about what I was like when I was 20 or 23 or 24 or even 27. And all of you have so much more skill, knowledge, inspiration, just so many great things that I wish I had had at your age. And it just, the trajectory that you're on is incredible. The value you've brought to this conversation tonight that we've had, and it's almost 11 p.m. Pacific time as we're here wrapping this thing up tonight, has been incredible. I really appreciate you. I am a raving fan of all of you. I love working with you guys. I'm so grateful to have you on the Western Region team and to be building something great together in our organization. Thank you so much for being part of this podcast tonight, guys. Thanks again, Dan. And thank you, everybody. Thanks, thank Dan. Again. All right. Hey, everybody. I'm not even going to try to put a cherry on top of this one because that was just so awesome with all those four young leaders I just wanted to say thank you for supporting the podcast, everybody. Please share it as much as you can. I would really appreciate you helping to spread the word about all the great things that Vector and Cutco do in the world by making sure more people get to hear this quality content. You can go to changinglivespodcast.com and you can see every episode there. There's a search bar. You can type in the name of a guest. Their episode will pop up. You can click on it. There is a space for you to sign up with your email address if you want to receive free resources from me and from some of our amazing podcast guests. You can also go to changinglivespodcast.com slash deals, and you can find information on some of our podcast sponsors as well. Shoot me a note and let me know what you thought of this. I would always love to hear from you. Love to get feedback from podcast fans and guests, and I appreciate the value brought here 
in this episode with Kyle Lopes, Ben Lee, Kuval Patel, Anthony Hayes. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you got value from today's episode, please share it with others and consider rating or reviewing us on your podcast player. Subscribing to the podcast is free and ensures that future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. For access to guest bios, show notes, and other resources, visit changinglivespodcast.com. You can sign up there to receive valuable resources for free from people featured on the podcast. And to support our podcast sponsors, visit changinglivespodcast.com slash deals. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. We'll be back in a few days for our next story about changing lives. 